Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We did our third installment of Six Impossible Episodes Mother Goose Rhymes today. These are so fun. Uh, I enjoy them. I think... We may be nearing the end of them just because I felt like with this one, uh, there were fewer poems to talk about um, that we had not already talked about, that there is some sort of purported historical explanation to talk about. And also, I felt like the purported historical explanations being offered, there was like even less backup than in earlier it just feels like we may be coming to a natural end of this particular series. One question uh, that people have asked the last couple times we've done this or slash suggestion um, is that we do one that is about, like, not English language nursery rhymes. And in particular, wouldn't it be nice to have one that was, like, not even about languages from Europe nursery rhymes and while I agree that is a cool idea, the thing that makes these episodes possible is having been so steeped in all of these poems since before I could read that I they are there in my mind immediately. And that is not trying to, like, number one, find nursery rhymes to talk about for a language that we don't speak and then to be able to, like, get to the possible cultural context of them for a culture we're not part of, like, that is just so far from our experience and knowledge that I'm like, I don't think it's really gonna work out for this show. Yeah, I feel like that's the kind of thing you get a grant for and you go take six or eight months to do. Yeah, that would, <laughs> yeah. Which would be um, amazing, but, like, not right. not really plausible on a... Right. Weekly episode show. 
Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I people know this if they listen to us all the time. We do two new episodes of the show each week with each of us writing one, um, which means we can't take six months to, <laughs> to research something uh, or totally get the foundational knowledge for something that is, like, so far outside of our experience. Um which is a frustration sometimes. Yes. Like, sometimes I wish I could just, like, magically have all of the knowledge to talk about something that's totally outside the realm of anything we have ever covered before. But that can be just not feasible in the time it's allowed, which is why sometimes we have authors on the show who have different knowledge and experience than we do. Yes. But then that requires preparation a whole different other way. Uh, two things... <laughs> Two things came up in this research that caused me to question whether maybe I had accidentally fallen into some kind of alternate universe in sort of like a Berenstein Bears situation. Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook. Yes. I have 100% for sure called it Tom Thumb's Pretty Songbook in previous episodes. And I thought that was the name of it. I thought it was Tom Thumb's Pretty Songbook. And the first time I saw Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook when doing research for this, I was like, is that right? And then not only is it right, like, there's nowhere that it's written as Tom Thumb's. And I'm just like, I, I, it was solidified in my brain as Tom Thumb's Pretty Songbook, not Tommy Thumb's. (laughs) The other thing is... (laughs) Tommy Thumbs sounds like a character that got written out of Goodfellas. Kinda. <laughs> Tommy Thumbs. He got pretty songs. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I have read some of T.S. Eliot's work. I studied some of it in college, in literature classes. I have always associated T.S. Eliot with British poetry. Hello, me too. Because he did, I mean, he moved to the UK, became a British citizenship, renounced his US citizenship uh, all the time. It, I, like, I had never really um, studied his biography in any way, but like always in my head, he's been a, a British poet. No. Uh, when I got to the part about how he learns, here we go, here we go around the mulberry bush, uh, and that for him it was a prickly pear, apparently, and that he had grown up in St. Louis, Missouri. I was like, that cannot be right. And then I looked it up, and yes, T.S. Eliot grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was just like, am I? Am I having a break with... Have I fallen into the wasteland? <laughs> yeah, like, <it's, laughs> is there a glitch in the Matrix? What is happening? Um... So yeah, both of those two things. I just had a weird existential. <laughs> it's Tom Tommy Thumb's pretty songbook, and T.S. Eliot was not raised in the UK. What? Oh, I love it. I had a moment when I was first reading your outline, where I was uh, right out of the gate. I was like, wait, there's some. I mean, I I remember hearing the canon story about Humpty Dumpty. Uh Uh-huh. But I was like, yeah, but everybody knows it's an egg. Like, it never occurred to me that it could not have been an egg It might have not been an egg, yeah. I was like, that's what broke my little brain. 
uh, what <laughs> I don't remember which which bit of research it was that I was reading, but they were talking about Humpty Dumpty. And they were talking about how this only really makes sense as a riddle if there's a reason for an egg to be on <laughs> a wall in the first place. Like, why is the egg on the wall? And I was like, is... And then I was trying to think through various riddles that I know and, like, whether there are weird details like that that could really be considered some kind of a strange red herring. But, yeah, uh... That chicken had a couple of drinks. (laughs) Yeah, I also, I think I have always sort of imagined Humpty Dumpty in my head as, like, an egg, but with arms and legs and a crown on his head. 100% he is an egg. Yeah. Crown optional for me, but he's 100% an egg person. Yeah. The end. He's an egg. (laughs) (laughs) Glad we're all on the same page with that. My brain also made a very silly association, and then I was like, oh, somebody study that. Which is that um, towards the end, when we were talking about the Opie's kind of noting that there are these very similar mm-hmm. person waiting for a thing, I was like, somebody write a paper about how this relates to Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. Please, somebody write that paper. Please. That sounds, yeah. Do it. I mean, I love me some Beckett, so. Yeah. Um, and did uh, my senior project in college was about Samuel Beckett. Um, but I had never, I actually, Godot is probably the least studied of his pieces for me. Yeah. But I just loved the idea of it suddenly being a really weird extrapolation of a nursery rhyme. <laughs> and how that could be a completely different interpretation of what that is. Yeah. That sounds interesting, though. Somebody else do it. I'm lazy. <laughs> I, I have I have seeded the plant, and now it can yeah. grow in someone else's brain. Yeah. Uh my my senior um my senior thesis in literature was about the poetry of Adrian Rich and Muriel Ruckeiser, and uh, with like just a weird now in hindsight many years later focus on sort of a pop psychology, but it was a whole weird thing. It did not make a lot of sense. Um, and sometimes it's one of the weird things that I occasional, occasionally will look back on it and go, huh, how did I come up with this weird thing that I did <laughs> for two poets whose work that I really loved? It took a really strange angle. Anyway, uh, that's more than anyone needed to know about my bachelor's degree. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. 
And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com where travels come true. If you use paper, you're a human, but if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. We talked about the Chicken of Tomorrow contest this week, as, as well as a lot of background about chickens in general. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this gave me many flashbacks because my parents used to raise chickens when I was a kid. We did not raise chickens ourselves, but we had neighbors who raised chickens. We had chickens. Um, a lot of chickens. I don't mean like we had four chickens. I mean, we had hundreds of chickens. Oh, wow. That's a lot. It was a lot. We had a little, like, mini farm situation going on. And I will tell you what might be the most disturbing fact about me. Okay. Which is that on chicken slaughtering day, I would drag my little holly hobby table and chair set out to just outside the chicken yard. And I would do Howard Cosell play-by-play of the whole of it. I, I kind of love this. <laughs> Some of it was really grisly, and I was at the time pretty comfortable with this stuff. But as I've gotten older, I'm too, I'm soft. I couldn't, I couldn't well, and I, do that again. One of the things as I was researching this, while a lot of what I was focused on was like the what actually happened with this contest and like the historical context for the contest, of course, there were many things that I also read as part of this that were more 
written from an animal rights perspective more recently that were about, in one way or another, the state of chicken farming today. And one of the arguments that I saw somebody make was that if a person wants to eat animal meat in any way, they should be required to, like, participate in the raising and slaughtering process uh, to see what it's actually like. Um, and your your anecdote just reminded me of that. Yeah, I mean, I know what it's actually like. Yeah. I know every time we say we love animals on the show, someone writes to us to say, but you're not vegan and you might be a monster. And I'm like, but I have participated and I have seen humane farms versus inhumane yeah. farms. Like I have also done trips to industrial slaughterhouses and they're horrifying and haunt me. Right. Um, which is why I try to always source anything I eat from not that. Um, yeah. Most of the meat that we eat in our household, we are getting directly from a farmer. We have a meat share. Uh, we were, it was specifically a poultry share for a couple of years. And then the farmer that we were working with decided they needed to kind of re- retool what they were, uh, like, how their chicken process was working. And they had a couple of unfortunate, uh, that time, this is a sad story. You might want to, like, skip ahead maybe 30 seconds if you're going to be really bummed out by a sad story about chickens. During that time in the early pandemic months when there was just a total backlog at the postal service and mail was delayed by a really long time, they had whole shipments of chickens that didn't arrive on time and were dead when they got there. Yeah. Uh, And of course, that was like upsetting and horrifying to everybody involved. But we know that this farmer is is working with all of their animals in like a respectful way. (laughs) In addition to feeling like we are getting, uh, we're supporting a farmer who is taking these steps uh, and who is, is, you know, trying to be thoughtful and compassionate in how they raise and care for these animals. The variety of the eggs that we get from them delights me because there are, it's not like from the grocery store most of the time where you open the box and it's like a dozen identical eggs. eggs. Yeah. Uh, They are different colors and different sizes and different. I love them. It's, uh, it's great. Um, So anyway, I know that for a lot of folks like that is not enough and they do not want to eat any animal product at all. And I respect that decision. (laughs) At my house, it is more, we try to get all of our meat from, like, sources that are working as humanely as possible. And also to eat less meat. Like, yeah. the majority of my meals don't actually include any meat. So, uh, meat is mostly a a dinner food at my house for me and not the rest of the meals food. Yeah, I mean, I will say this, too. As meatless options have become more varied and more delectable, like it's so much easier to cut back on. Yeah, on there's meat. <laughs> I remember a time when one of my dearest friends was traveling with me to theme parks I love very much and was vegetarian. And at one point she looked at me and said, I cannot eat another roasted vegetable flatbread. Yeah. <laughs> and now that is not really a problem because everywhere has something yummy and delicious that is. A true, actual, like, right, right, entree option that is not just the I don't know what can we throw together that does not include these yeah. things. 
I think I've told this story on the show before, but I'm going to tell it again. I know there are cuisines all over the world that are rich in plant-based options. Like, I'm aware of this. But growing up in Northwest North Carolina in the 1980s and 90s, there were not a lot of options. And so when I stopped eating meat in high school... Uh, there were, like, there were Chinese restaurants that we could go to that had, like, a vegetable, it was just, like, vegetables in a sauce with rice. That was an option. But there was this one restaurant called Rainbow News and Cafe, which was a restaurant-slash-bookstore, and they had, as I recall, two, two vegetarian options on the menu, and that was a big, big deal. Uh, Like, it was the only, like, specifically vegetarian thing on any restaurant in the area that I knew of. One of the things was a vegetarian chili, which would have been more accurately described as a vegetable stew. It bore no resemblance to chili of any sort. And then the other thing was a barbecue tofu sandwich, which was, like, a bun with the fixings that you would expect on a burger with just a slab of tofu that had been sort of slathered in barbecue sauce. (laughs) You would bite into it, and, like, the barbecue sauce plus the tofu slab was really slippery, so the tofu would just shoot out the other end. I loved that bookstore restaurant so much. I really, really did. In hindsight, that was a terrible sandwich. Um, But it gave you an option, which is probably why it felt amazing. Yes. There was also my standard of Caesar salad and French fries from McDonald's, not understanding that Caesar salad dressing had anchovies in it, and not knowing that at that time... McDonald's is using beef flavoring beef in their French tallow. fries. I, I don't know if that's still the case because I remember when like that became news, there was beef beef flavor in the McDonald's French fries and vegetarians were horrified. So anyway, <laughs> I'm glad, <laughs> so glad there are so many more options now and so many more options at the regular grocery store. I know there's a lot to think about in terms of like foods like quinoa and how the, the communities that have raised quinoa are being in a lot of ways disadvantaged by yes. like the popularity of foods like quinoa among Americans. Like that's a whole other thing, but it's really hard. The ethics of food and what you consume and what you're comfortable with. One, I mean, I I think it's very individual in terms of where anybody's going to sit, but also it there are so many layers, right? Where it's like, okay, but like this solution solves this problem, but oh wait, it has its own mess of yuckiness and problem that we haven't thought about yet. But if we fix that, then another thing. Well, it's like whack-a-mole of trying to do the right thing, and it's hard. Yeah, there's also just the converse, the totally converse part of like, like, indigenous peoples that live in the very far north have historically had a very, like, meat-based diet. And I've seen a lot of people talking about being, um, like, judged and vilified for continuing to eat foods that are part of their, like, traditional foodways. Um, And it's like, there's... But I can't just, like, grow a bunch of wheat here. Right. (laughs) The, The ground is frozen. Like, there's... There's a lot to think about, and a lot of times I think people try to offer very easy solutions, and those very easy solutions have a lot of complexities that are not right. <laughs> that are not really evident until you really start thinking about stuff. Um, I didn't know until researching this that broiler chick, like commercially farmed broiler chickens, these hybrids that have been developed today, um, they are so big and they grow so fast, and they convert their feed into meat so efficiently that they just they can't live outside of this environment. 
And they probably wouldn't live long beyond their slaughter date because of the way their bodies develop. Um, I didn't know any of that at all. And uh, that was more surprising to me than the fact that a grocery store and the USDA teamed up to have a contest, (laughs) which was the thing that had uh, sparked my attention in the first place. Whatever's coming up for you this weekend, hope it's great. Hope it's great. Uh, whatever you're going to eat this weekend, I hope that's great. If you would like to send us a note, we're at HistoryPodcast at iHeartRadio.com. And we'll be back with a Saturday Classic tomorrow and something brand new on Monday. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 